0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. in fact, everyone who wants to be to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it and how from infancy. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry.
0: Well, Anthony, thank you very much indeed. And if you'd like to keep your Bibles uh, open at that passage, that would be very helpful. Um, Also, on the back of the service sheet, there's there's an outline of the talk, if you want to use that to follow along or to make notes. But as we begin, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we've just been singing about uh, our enthusiasm uh, for your words, our desire to be hungry for your wisdom, waiting on your words, uh, that in the power of your spirit, you might speak and change us. We pray that again now. We're going to be thinking about depending upon your word, but we pray, even as we begin, you would bring about that dependence in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, according to some people, uh, apparently, well, I got this from the internet anyway, apparently the average number of conscious decisions an adult makes each day is about 35,000 35,000, very, very big number. I'm not at all sure, actually, that that number is accurate or even meaningful. Uh, but I think we can agree that we're, we're making decisions all the time, aren't we? Uh, some of them are fairly unconscious. They're driven by habits or convention. Uh, but some of them are really big, aren't they? They're huge in our lives, filling our thoughts day after day. You know, decisions like, um, which university should I go to? Or... Um, what subject should I do when I get there, or where should I live, or what job or career should I take up, or, or big life decisions like, uh, should I get married, who to, when, how? <laughs> then there are decisions that might be difficult, you know, might have a difficult ethical component to them, complex medical decisions, decisions about economics or politics or finance, decisions about relationships or gender or sexuality all highly difficult highly charged technical contentious and then there are more trivial or detailed or practical decisions we have to make all the time yeah. which football team should i support actually that's quite an easy one i think football uh, i think the answer to that one really is none of them uh, football team's Uh, I mean, just think about it for a moment. Football teams, on average, they win half the time, they lose half the time, so that all cancels out. And then you have to go and pay and watch them do that, so it's a bad deal, isn't it? So I think the answer to that one's fairly straightforward. (laughs) But there are other decisions out there, like, yeah, you know, what should I I eat? What should I wear? Or practical decisions, like, what am I going to do about this button that's just fallen off my shirt? How am I going to cope with that? Or... But let's go back to some of the bigger decisions. What are the big decisions in life? Should I, for example, become a, a full-time gospel worker, a church leader perhaps? Or if I'm already a church leader and life is getting really tough, really hard, should I go, give up and do something different? Now, that might not sound very relevant to you, uh, even if it does to me, I can tell you. Uh, But it actually turns out to be a very good place to start thinking about all of this because in our Bible reading tonight, that's the issue that's being addressed. Uh, And as we listen to the Apostle Paul addressing that particular issue for his close friend and fellow worker Timothy, he's also going to provide the key to unlocking all those other issues I just mentioned, decisions and questions, all those things I began with. Yeah, so with that in mind, so let's have a look at this amazing letter, the letter of, uh, to Timothy. And uh, we can indeed work out early on in the letter that Timothy is a, uh, you know, he's a leader, he's a church leader under intense pressure, the kind of intense pressure where he might be tempted, up, tempted to give up or try something new. His friend and mentor and fellow worker, Paul, is in prison. Uh, It seems that he's at the end of his life, perhaps he's even just about to be executed. He's been apparently discredited and his friends and fellow workers are abandoning him wholesale. Timothy's found himself surrounded by false teachers who are worming their way into homes and deceiving people for personal gain. His own congregation, it seems, perhaps, um, don't like him saying the hard things he's saying to them. Uh, but in all this situation, all these difficulties, Paul says to him in this letter, don't give up. Don't give up. That's the basic thrust of the letter. Don't give up. Your preaching is too valuable. What you're preaching, the gospel you're preaching, is too valued, valuable to stop preaching. And look, don't be surprised that this is hard. That is the pattern of the gospel. It is all about suffering now for the gospel and the glory comes later that's the pattern for the gospel that's been set for us by Jesus Christ. Paul has reminded him, and that's the pattern being the pattern of my life and ministry, says Paul. So don't give up. Complete what you began. Finish your ministry. And in the section of the letter we're going to look at tonight, Paul relates all of this to the top topic of our short sermon series at the moment. It's all related here to the Bible. How is the Bible going to help Timothy not give up? Well, says Paul, because in the Bible, Timothy has everything he needs to complete his ministry. He might feel at sea, he might feel ill-equipped, but that is not the case, says Paul, because you have the Bible. That then goes on to have implications for all of us. It means that in the Bible, we really do, all of us have everything we need for a godly ministry. Purposeful life in a very complex and messy world. The Bible is able to equip us to make all those varied decisions I just mentioned. So let's take a, begin by taking a closer look at this big claim that Paul is making to his friend Timothy that in the Bible, the Christian leader and teacher has everything he needs to complete his ministry. Timothy has already got everything he needs to be equipped to do his job. Now, remember again the situation Timothy's in. Uh, It seems pretty desperate. You can see that again chapter 3, verse 13. Evil men and imposters are going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But Timothy, Timothy, says Paul, don't give up. Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. As for you. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In a world flooded with lies, deceits, dead ends, false guidance, hold your nerve, says Paul. What you already have, what you've already learned and become convinced of is all you need. Because you learned it from an early age, from the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And you learned it from me, says Paul, an apostle, an eyewitness of the risen Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, commissioned by Jesus to take that gospel into the world. And uh, this witness and testimony, uh, when written down in in what we would call the New Testament, um, I guess at the time, even that was being treated as scripture. Because it was from God, it was by the Spirit. You have all of these things, says Paul, Uh, the scriptures, the testimony, and they are able, as we were thinking about last week, they are powerful to make you wise for salvation, to awaken your belief, and to find life by faith in Christ Jesus. Why would you want to give that up? Why would you want to stop preaching that, says Paul? And then, what's more, he says, verse 16, very, very famous verses, he says, all scripture is God-breathed, And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I guess to many of us, those are quite familiar and famous verses, uh, but they are also verses worth coming back to again and again and worth working through care very carefully, dwelling on every detail. The scriptures, Paul says are God-breathed, as we might put it, they are inspired, breathed out by God, spirited out through the human authors of the Bible. They are, as we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago, God speaking, and uh, not just some scripture, notice, look again, it's all scripture, all scripture, we don't just pick the parts we like. Uh, More positively, we don't have to work out somehow which scriptures are God-breathed and which are not, which is God's making it easy for us. All scripture is God-breathed, and because it's of God, it is uniquely powerful and useful. Profitable is the word Paul uses. I don't know if you remember Jesus' story about the merchant looking for fine pearls, and Jesus says, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, And I wonder if you might think about it, how many things are so valuable in your life that you would stop everything and sell everything you had to get it. The kingdom of heaven is like that, said Jesus. Well, the scriptures have that kind of value too, says Paul, because they are of God. They are God-breathed. And just like winning some huge cash windfall, you can do amazing things with them. They are useful. They are profitable for doing good. Let's look at that in more detail. They're profitable for what exactly? Well, take a look with me at the four things Paul picks out here. First of all, they are profitable for teaching. That is, they're given to Timothy so that Timothy can do his main task as a church leader, leading by teaching the main truths about God, us, life, history, sin, judgment, redemption, the future, doing that and then leading the church with authority as he does it because these are God-breathed truths. Second, they're profitable for rebuking. We might not uh, so much like the sound of this one, but we should. We're all people, as Paul will go on to say, who would prefer to hear what our itching ears want to hear. But if we're being led astray by false teaching, much better than if that's clearly refuted, clearly exposed, however hard that might be at the time. Third, the scriptures are profitable for correcting. Uh, That is restoration or, or improvement. I guess when things go wrong in our lives, it's tempting to deceive ourselves about it, to deny it or blame someone else. But much better to have someone lead us and lead us through the scriptures to to face up to those things, to, to move on and grow in the gospel. And then lastly here, the scriptures are profitable for training in righteousness. We have been brought into a right relationship with God through the gospel we're also called to live out that, those lives in righteousness to the glory of God. And I hardly have to tell you how hard and complicated that can be in a very messy and complex world. We need God to train us, teach us, instruct us. And if our leaders teach the scriptures, then that's what we get. So what does all this mean? Well, look at verse 17 again with me. Chapter 3, verse 17. This is... Also, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A man of God in the Bible is a leader and teacher of God's people, someone like Timothy. So, Paul says to Timothy, with the scriptures, you are thoroughly equipped for your job, you are complete, you don't need anything else. You're equipped for the tasks you've been given to do. You're equipped for every good work. You're equipped to lead and teach your people in every good work. That's very striking, isn't it? Paul says, every good work. Does Paul really mean every work? Without exception, Well, it seems he does. It's an amazing thing. We'll come back to that in a moment. Anyway, all this sets the stage for for Paul's big moment in the letter where he implores Timothy in the presence of god and of christ jesus well you know you might well feel like giving up he says but no chapter 4 verse 2 preach the word do all those things god has equipped you to do correcting rebuking encouraging you have the scriptures to do that with and so verse chapter 4 verse 5 discharge all the duties of your ministry you might feel like giving up he says but no complete your ministry finish what you started. You have what you need. Now, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I uh, quite often get into a a terrible muddle when I'm trying to leave the house in a hurry. You know, I've got various things I know around the house that I need to pick up. They're scattered in all sorts of different places. There's, There's the car keys, for example. That's okay. They're always on the hall table. I've got those. Uh, but then I've got to pick up a, a bag from our bedroom, and then my phone from the kitchen, a coat, coat from downstairs, and then in the midst of all this running around, somehow those car keys, which I thought I had, I've lost, and they're not in the hall table anymore because that's where they were to start with, and I'm racking my brains: so have I left them in the bedroom with the bag or in the, in the kitchen with my phone, and I'm running around in the house in all these places, and it's getting later and later, and I'm wondering why it feels like I'm stuck in some bizarre version of Cluedo. And I'm thinking, I hate Cluedo. It's a stupid game. And then I realize I've left my sanity in the bedroom and it's getting desperate. So I, it's time to stop and take a deep breath and think it through. And it's then that I've seen that I've had the car keys in my hand all the time. Maybe it's just me that happens to. And that's kind of what's happened to Timothy as well. He's been in a panic. He's been under pressure. There's pressure from inside and outside. And perhaps he's thinking he can't do this, that he doesn't have what it takes. If only he had something to make his ministry start working. And Paul has said, Timothy, stop. You already have it. It's in your hand. It's the Bible. And it's everything you need to finish your ministry. Now, I guess there are all sorts of possible implications we could think through from this. Um, For example, it's very clear from this, isn't it? The kind of leader we would want to choose and select for churches. We'd want to choose someone utterly passionate about the Bible, dependent upon the Bible, preaching his his heart out in season and out of season. It's very clear from this, I guess, that church members should be encouraging their leaders to do exactly that Uh, and feeling short-changed when that doesn't happen. Uh, And not just to say the the easy things, but the hard things as well. It's also very clear that, from this, how we should go about training people for church leadership. I mean, what is important here? I mean, all sorts of things might be useful in church leadership, all sorts of skills, but they're not mentioned here. The focus here is all on the Bible, isn't it? That's why we have uh, the focus in our Bible training here, in forward Bible training, uh, just immersing people in the scriptures, as much as we possibly can in the time that we've got. We don't really have time to sort of chase down every implication tonight. So what I really want to focus on the rest of our time is what this means for all of us, not just leaders. What this means for how we should all think about the Bible and its role in our lives. You see, if the Bible is everything I need need to, to teach you and complete my ministry, which is what Paul seems to be saying, And one of the things I'm going to want to teach you is this, that in the Bible, secondly, we all, we really do all have everything we need for a godly, purposeful life in a complex and messy world. Look at me again at the end of chapter 3, verse 17. With the Bible, Timothy is thoroughly equipped, Paul has said, for every good work he has to do as a leader and teacher. That means every issue or question or decision the church family might bring to him for counsel and advice, everything in the complexity of life he needs to teach them about, while in the Bible he has everything he needs. We all, therefore, in the Bible have everything we need for a godly, purposeful life in a complex and messy world. It's what's sometimes called the sufficiency of the scriptures. It led to the cry of the reformers that what we believe and think and how we live is shaped by the scripture alone. The Bible is powerful to equip us for everything that really matters, every good work, every decision. Now, now I can imagine that, at least for some of you, your instinctive response to that claim might be to say, Really? Are you kidding? I mean, where in the Bible am I mentioned by name, personally? You know, my particular problems, uh, the particular decision facing me right now? Or or where in this ancient text can I find answers to all those modern issues of science or complex finance or, or medical practice? And where do I find the section on sewing on buttons? I mean, Why do I look for these things? They don't seem to be there. Now those are good questions and so it's perhaps not surprising uh, to find some Christians looking to things other than the Bible for guidance in their lives and answers to those kinds of questions. Uh, for example, I was in the Ukraine a few years ago uh, visiting some churches and it was very striking there. The culture there was for Christians to seek guidance in their lives through direct words from the Lord uh, so you'd be chatting with them and asking them about their past and they would give an answer like well this is how it worked this is my story, God told me to move here from somewhere else and then he told me to do this or that and then he, then he told me to invest in this, in this business and then he told me to start this venture and so it went on, that was the, that was the culture there For some Christians, I guess that kind of direct guidance is is part of how they understand prayer. Uh, For them, prayer is not just about speaking to God or or praising him or asking him for things. It's also, to an extent, about listening to God. And uh, in that, maybe not hearing explicit words, but certainly getting uh, sort of impulses or feelings as we pray. For other Christians, passing on words of prophecy or visions or pictures is is kind of part of their ministry. It's part of the way they serve the church family. Or for others, uh, I guess guidance comes from reading the signs that God sends us. I heard a very striking example of this a while back. Uh, Someone lying in bed one morning, uh, wondering whether they should go on a foreign holiday or not. Uh, Should they go on a foreign holiday? And they rolled over, and just at that moment, they caught sight of their digital alarm clock just at that moment, just at the time it reached 7.47. Uh, a 7.47 is a kind of airliner, in case you didn't pick that up. And he took that as the perfect clue cue to get on a plane and head off for some sun. Now, what should we make of all that kind of thing? Now, I want to say first that... Um, Those kinds of ways of approaching God's guidance in our lives. And I do want to say they're not entirely wrong. We're encouraged in the Bible, for example, to speak the word of God to one another, speak the gospel in love. It's good to seek and receive counsel from other Christians. We're encouraged to help one another as people empowered by the Spirit to apply the gospel to the detail of our lives. And we're encouraged to pour out our problems and our decisions to God in prayer and ask for wisdom and guidance. And we're also encouraged to think of God as sovereign over all things with far more control over the details of life than we have. He is our heavenly father. He's caring for us in the messiness of life. He's our shepherd, guiding us through its complexities. But here's the thing. To take thoughts or feelings or images or impulses and to give them the weight and authority of God's word to us goes way beyond those things. And it seems to me precarious, uh, potentially damaging, deceitful, and dangerous, uh, and also, I might say, quite lazy. It's precarious because there's no promise in the Bible that God will speak to us this that kind of way. And even if I feel he might have, there's an issue, isn't there? How, how, how can I be sure? How do I know? That's a, that's a serious question because my temptation in those moments will be to hear what I want to hear, to read things into my thoughts and into the events around me. Now, look again with me at chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul reminds Tim- Timothy that we tend to want teachers who will say what our itching ears want to hear. Well, we can feed ourselves with, with what we want to hear in other ways too. And of course that's then very potent- potentially very damaging or deceitful and dangerous because I say something, if I say something is the word of God when it isn't, uh, first and foremost, I'm, I'm in danger of leading myself astray and I might be in danger of leading someone else astray as well. I guess sometimes that that deceit and deception is very obvious. Uh, For example, someone comes to me and says that uh, God has told them to to leave their wife because he no longer has strong feelings for her and he he can feel a a strong sense of, of peace about the decision that he's come to. Well, that's fairly straightforward, actually. I can get straight back to him and say, no, he hasn't. And you really shouldn't be feeling at peace about such a thought. Sometimes I guess it's less obvious at first. I have a friend who is uh, back at school. He's really, really keen at drama. And uh, someone in his late teens uh, told him that God had told them that one day he was going to be a great Christian actor and would work through that to his glory. And so he heard that, and instead of going to university, he went off to drama school instead. Was that the right thing to do? We didn't really know at the time, but in retrospect, it seems probably not. You know, it was quite a big misstep in his Christian life. I hope you can see some of the problems here. If If I just continuously say, well, God told me to do such and such, then it cuts off any debate, any space for discussion, any wisdom or any prayer. And often in practice, it does seem to lead to some, some rather strange and eccentric decisions. I don't know, so let me say it straight. God could speak to you direct, just you, personally, by name, telling you what to do when it comes to a certain decision. Of course he could. You know, he can do as he pleases. Well, let me also say that if God does speak to you direct, I can say for sure, you will know it. You will know it. There'll be no doubt about it. In fact, you'll probably be flat on your face in fear and trembling. And it won't in any way be vague or ambiguous or mysterious. It's going to be absolutely plain and clear. So if that does happen, then fine. But otherwise, let's please not fool ourselves that something is a word from God when it isn't. So when can we be sure that a word is a word from God? What can we be sure of? I suppose this is one of the points of this little sermon series. When it's from the Bible. Whenever we open the Bible, this is God speaking and these are his words. Uh, you still might be saying, I suppose, well, yes, but I still don't quite understand how that works in, in practice with my situation, with my decisions Let me put it like this. I think this is the way it works, or this is the way that the scriptures seem to portray it. God does guide us through the scriptures. God does guide us in life. But he doesn't do it by simply giving us the answers on a plate to everything straight away in a kind of minute detail. Uh, I suppose in our our desperate or our lazy moments, that may be what we want. You say, oh God, just please give me the answer. We may feel like that. But in guiding us, God wants us to work. He wants us to think. He wants us to pray. He wants to treat us, if you like, as capable adults, not as children, even if we don't feel very capable. He calls us to exercise wisdom and work hard at it. He equips us with the Bible, and then through his word, by his spirit, and with one another's help, he guides us, as David says in the Psalms, in paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. So let me finish tonight by going back to some of those examples I began with. Very briefly, it'll have to be, I'm very conscious, there's much more to say about each of them, but at least I guess we can get the ball rolling on thinking these things through. And I suppose the main thing to say here, really, is that the Bible gives us both the right perspective or orientation to make wise decisions, that it also gives us a whole set of of useful and essential tools to make them. First and foremost, the Bible sets us in the right context for making our decisions. The universe has a creator. History has a, a beginning and an end, a direction and a purpose. And at the center of this history is Jesus and his death and resurrection. I think perhaps the middle classes in our culture, find their identity and purpose, in what sort of things, sort of education or in their careers. But for Christians in our age, there is only one central task to be involved in. It's the, the making disciples of Jesus. It's the, the Great Commission. That's important because it, it kind of gives us the right perspective on things, doesn't it? It gives, takes all the emphasis off some of the big life decisions that trouble us. It takes the heat out of them. So, which university? Which career? Well, in the end, it doesn't hugely matter. So long as they open up good opportunities for me to do good to other people, uh, to minister and make disciples, to do that well supported by a local church with all the time I need to serve at home and in the church setting as well, and the time I need to go out with the gospel. Should you get married? Well, not necessarily. But if you do, make sure it's to a Christian with whom you can partner in gospel ministry together. The scriptures is setting that perspective for us. And what about all those complex uh, modern ethical issues we might have to make decisions on in some cases? Well, that's a huge area in its own right, of course. But suffice to say that the Bible does also teach us how to take this ethical material in an ancient book and think through how to apply it to such issues today. And what about all the practical detail of life? Well, here again, the scriptures encourage us not to be lazy. We have been made in the image of God as creative people, as problem solvers. Go and work it out. God is saying to us in all sorts of things. So if, like me, you keep forgetting... How to sew on a button. Go and watch a YouTube video. They're fantastic. However, we managed before YouTube, I'm not quite sure. I guess we just went around with trousers falling down and shirts hanging open. Anyway, just go and work it out. The Bible is God speaking, the Bible is true and trustworthy. It's a true and trustworthy testimony about our Lord Jesus Christ. And this week we're seeing the Bible is powerful to equip us for a godly, purposeful life in a complex and messy world. So let's pray that God would indeed equip us that way. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for the, the grace you have shown us in giving us this book and we pray that we would treat it with the respect that it deserves as breathed out by by you we pray for a humble dependency upon it and we pray for that hunger to be equipped to then go out and do the good things you would have us do Lord, bring about this attitude in us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.